0: Welcome to the Legacy Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Tommy Miller. For more information about Legacy Church, please visit us online at www.legacychurchclm.org. Another one of the major misconceptions with the Holy Spirit is that he's a feeling. Bible clearly teaches that he's a person. He has emotions. He's aware. He can speak. He can lead. He can teach. He can convict. He can comfort. He can exhort. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. But what we have made the the, the tendency is that when we're in church and the music starts and we get goosebumps, we've mistaken that for the presence of God. And what happens is when we think the presence of God is a feeling that when we're in the valley and we need to really pray for the sick or we really need to make it through marital trouble or we really need to believe through financial trouble, we'll think if there isn't a worship band, a preacher and some goosebumps that God's absent. And if we believe that's the truth, then faith has been reduced to what we feel and if we live by what we feel, we'll be like this at best, right? up and down and up and down but an awareness of the real person of God living inside of humanity he said a sacrifice and an offering I do not desire but a body thou hast prepared for me so what he's saying is it's not about what you can do in your obedience it's about what he can do in your surrender that's Christianity that's being a practitioner and not just a professor many people know the Holy Spirit by theory they don't know him personally In John 14, 9, it says, I have been with you so long and you don't know me. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and that the Father's in me? The words that I speak to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. That's the concept, do you hear it? Believe me that I'm in the Father and that the Father's in me, or else believe for the sake of the works themselves. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me the works that I do, he will do also and greater works than these will he do because I go to my Father. Jesus clearly taught that the person of the Holy Spirit would bring greater practice, not just greater knowledge. Greater practice, not just greater knowledge. And when we, in our culture here that we will do greater works than Jesus we laugh, we preach encouraging messages about it but how many of you understand that Paul and St. Patrick did it? They manifested it if you, if you read the miracles of Paul versus the miracles of Jesus just in the New Testament, Paul performed more than Jesus did <gasps> Jesus promised it he's the one that set it up that way and, and I, I dare tell you that if you study the history of St. Patrick he did more than Paul and this ever-increasing kingdom that you and I are called to be a part of and to witness and to to, to manifest, we should be making St. Patrick look like an amateur. Because there's more access to the kingdom now than there ever has been. He goes on and he says, Whatever you ask in my name, I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father who will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth that the world can't receive because it doesn't see him or know him. But you know him. Listen to this. This is the most telling passage about the person of, of the Holy Spirit, who it actually is. It says, but you know him, for he dwells with you. Who was dwelling with him at that moment? Jesus. And he will be in you. He dwells with you. And he will be in you. And then he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus was making no distinction between the fullness of the person of Jesus and the fullness of the Spirit of God that would live in a human. It's not like Jesus went up to heaven, sat at the right hand of the Father, and then he deposited a piece in Dan and a piece in Ruth and a piece in uh, Jake. He didn't do that. He said, greater works than these you will do because I go to my Father. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Meaning this man is filled with the fullness of God. Not his arm, not his leg, not a piece of him. All of him. This young lady is filled with the fullness of God. Not a piece of him, not his arm, not his leg. All of him. And the crux of Christianity is that we are to offer our bodies a living sacrifice so that the life we live now, we live by the faith of the Son of God so that Jesus wants to manifest Himself through you to a lost and dying world. And this is about allowing our bodies to be his hands and feet, allowing our mouth to be his mouthpiece, and saying what he wants to say and doing what he wants to do. Christianity is that simple. The gift of prophecy does not have to be weird when you understand that you're just translating the heart of God to a human. The gift of healing doesn't have to be weird. When you examine the way, the truth, and the life, the the, the Gospels, the life of Jesus is perfect theology. If you want to discover perfect theology, you can't can't read a book on healing that's based on some dude's experience. You have to look at the life of Jesus. All who came to Him were healed. Right? Right? Our experience will tell us otherwise, but all who came to him were healed. So if we're trusting in the one that lives in us rather than the strength of who we are, then the one in us wants to heal them. You guys aren't as excited about this as you should be. If you're comfortable and, 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 and content with re- religion and tradition, you can stay here. That's fine. But that's not where we're headed. That's not where we're headed. And I'm not saying that you have to become a saint and raise the dead, but I'm saying you are called to it. Raise the dead, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers. Freely you have received, so freely give. That is the great commission. He didn't mince words. He, wasn't, he was saying, tell them that the kingdom's here, then show them. It's that simple. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Paul said that it's no longer I who live, Christ in me. Have you ever put yourself in the position of the disciples when they're following Jesus around? They were pretty bold dudes. Like to to consider the things that they said to Jesus, like you've got the Son of God living in the flesh in your presence. And they're like, Jesus, can I have the chair next to yours? They're like, hey, we found somebody that's casting out demons. They're not from our church. Can we catch them on fire? <laughs> they, they really said that. Like they, they were so simple minded. As a matter of fact, let me tell you this. This this is how many of you have ever felt unqualified to be a Christian? Underqualified, underprepared, not knowledgeable enough. I read my Bible and I can't comprehend. Listen to me well, please, if you hear nothing else. Paul did not have the Bible that you can't understand. Paul was not worried about being able to comprehend red words on white pages. He spent 14 years in constant communion with the person of God and everything that he needed to know manifested from the inside out. It had nothing to do with intelligence. It had nothing to do with ability. It had nothing to do with comprehension. It was nothing but surrender to the power of the living God who made you prime real estate to come make His home in you to manifest His will. He chose the people who had already been rejected by Judaism to be his 12 disciples. If you were a fisherman, that means you didn't make it out of 5th grade. As a Jew, if you didn't have the Torah memorized by 5th grade, they're like, you've got to go fish or build stuff because you're not cut out for this son. So he chose tax collectors. He chose fishermen. He chose people that had already been rejected by religion. He chose the foolish to confound the wise. Now you tell me why we're trying to make professors out of people that should be practitioners. The reason he used Paul is because his history disqualified him as a candidate for grace because he was a perfect Jew. It was equally as scandalous for him to come to a place of surrender to God as it would be for a harlot or a tax collector because he was a perfect Jew. He even said of himself, according to the law I was blameless. It's vital church that we understand that it's not about our ability. It's about our surrender. When you surrender, you start understanding, you start realizing that your actions are no longer your actions. Your words are no longer your words. Your thoughts are no longer your thoughts. We make this way more complicated than it is. You can take an assessment of your day and find out if it's you living or Christ that's living in you by the way you react to people, by the thoughts that you think, the words that you say, and the things that you do. If you're living in your comfort zone, you are not led by the Holy Spirit. I had to say something so bold. But Jesus was always taking risks. Because he understood that faith functioned best in the environment of absolute impossibility. Is that a runaway? Oh, it's just Millie. Okay. (laughs) Millie's always a runaway. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. It's, It's really important that our subconscious understanding of Holy Spirit is correct. We as humans have this thing built into us called the law of first mention, meaning what we experience first becomes our truth, whether we want it to or not. And then everything we hear going forward is compared to what we heard first. So unfortunately, the 80s and 90s were riddled with bad teaching on Holy Spirit. So we refer to him as the Holy Spirit, right? I don't call him the Jordan, right? That's just strange. It's extremely impersonal. Holy Spirit's a person. Why would you refer to him with a the in front of him? That's not the wife even though I call her that sometimes. But our subconscious understanding has to come to a place where it's it's healthy, where it's not about goosebumps, it's not about a feeling, it's not about us falling out on the floor, it's about an awareness of the presence of the person of Jesus in you all the time, every time. You can be quenching him or you can be surrendered, but he's there. The word quench in the Greek means to close the door on, meaning he wants to come out. Chris Gore says that Jesus is locked in the hands of unbelieving believers and he desperately wants out he's there he never leaves you he never forsakes you it's up to you whether or not he'll get to function Jesus paid an extremely high price in order for him to come reconcile the world to himself and he put the responsibility and he actually made it contingent on our ability to walk in his will meaning he put everything in place to restore the world back to the kingdom and then he made it contingent on your ability to surrender to him is it good? I think it's good. I'm going to quickly give you nine things. I know that's a lot, but I'm going to quickly give you nine things that the Holy Spirit does. Oftentimes we limit his, uh, his ability, his presence to a few areas. And, and I'm going to address something specifically, and I don't want anyone to get mad at me. But if you want to argue with me, I'll just get my Bible out. And I promise you can't find your answer in there and I can find mine. (laughs) The first thing that the Holy Spirit is responsible for is creation. He's ever-present. He doesn't go away. We think that the Holy Spirit can't be in a room with a sinner. The only way that sinners get converted is by the Holy Spirit. So we have this false teaching and this false understanding that unless... You speak in tongues. The Holy Spirit is absent from your life. Don't get mad at me. It's in the book. There are four times in the book of Acts that it is recorded that the Holy Spirit is it falls on a household. Two of those times, they refer to the evidence of speaking in tongues. Two of the times, they do not. You ready for this one, Wayne Woodard? If our theology's correct according to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, requiring speaking in tongues or you go to hell, then Jesus is perishing right now. Jesus was baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit descended as a dove on him in the Jordan, and he didn't speak in tongues. Poor Jesus. Rotten in hell, according to most doctrine we have in churches today. Okay? I want to confront that for a very specific reason because I have a young lady that's very dear to me. She's like a daughter to my wife and I that came to the altar every Sunday night at youth group. We tried to convince her, Allie, oops, Allie gossip, okay, whatever. (laughs) She's not here. We pray for her and she wanted to speak in tongues so bad. And we pray for her and then she'd leave the altar crying because she felt like if she didn't perform, then she wasn't accepted. We pray for her again, week after week. I'm talking like a year and a half of this, guys. And her pursuit of a gift caused her to miss out on the work of the giver. And there's a lot of churches today that will put that same shame, guilt, and condemnation on you. How many of you know that's true? when jesus is having a conversation with peter he says who do men say that i am and he said they believe that you're like john the baptist that you're like elijah or another one of the prophets he said but who do you say that i am he said i believe that you're the christ the son of the living god and he said blessed are you simon bar jonah for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father in heaven you can only come to a place of repentance the bible says that no one can call christ lord except by the holy spirit The Holy Spirit is active in the life of a lost person because he's wooing them. He's drawing them into repentance. So to have this thought, this idea that until you come up on this altar and babble your head off, that the Holy Spirit's not with you or he doesn't love you is absolute. That's disgusting. Because the Bible says that you were sealed the day that you believed. Y'all quiet. Is everybody okay? Okay. Now, let's talk about tongues then. Do we throw tongues out because it's been mishandled like that? Absolutely not. Can't. Paul says, do all speak in tongues? No. He says that. Read your Bible. Don't listen to the dude behind the pulpit. Read your own Bible. Do all speak in tongues? No. Can they? Yeah. Absolutely. It's one of the most important gifts in my life, church. I'm telling you. Paul said, I'm glad that I speak in tongues more than you all. And frankly, so am I. Because it is the gift of edification for my spirit man. Oh boy. I love you guys. This is good. All right. Number two, he empowers you for service. In Matthew three sixteen, Jesus is baptized in the Holy Spirit. Understand that according to every gospel narrative, he never performed a miracle before that day. Jesus himself never performed a miracle before the day that he encountered Holy Spirit in the Jordan. Number three, the Holy Spirit brings revelation. This is one of the things that the church can grasp onto, and it's one of the most life-giving things that you can understand. Comprehending the Word of God is a difficult task. How many of you know that's true? When you understand and are aware of the person of the Holy Spirit, it's very clear in Scripture that every word of the Bible was God-breathed, God-inspired, and men who were moved by the Holy Spirit put their pen to paper and recorded the thoughts of God for you and I to read. How convenient is it to be able to ask the author his intention when you're reading his book? You might think that's like, what do I want to say a concept right now but my ministry is based on revelation it's not based on knowledge I can't preach something unless Holy Spirit says it to me or it's fake I feel like I'm batting left handed when I'm reading the Bible Holy Spirit I'm saying what did you mean when you told Paul that and then Holy Spirit will speak up and I'm like boy we're terrible at teaching (laughs) the Holy Spirit can bring revelation number four he guides people In Matthew 4, 1, it was the Spirit that drove Jesus into the wilderness. In Acts chapter 8, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, Go near and overtake that chariot. Could you imagine being walking down the street and God saying, Hey, jump in that car. And you just take off running. You open the door and you're like, Hey, what you reading? That's what happened. That's exactly what happened with with this disciple. He said, Hey, go jump on that guy's chariot. He's reading the book of Isaiah and he has no clue what it's talking about. It says he reasoned with him through that prophecy and he, he knew that it was Jesus. And then he said, There's a puddle. What forbids me from being baptized? How many of you have had the unction to take a risk lately and have not taken it? How many of you have been asked to step into the impossible or the dangerous and haven't taken that step? Nothing happens in comfort zones, nothing happens in comfort zones until you start sacrificing your schedule, your comfort, your happiness your feelings, and everything that has to do with your carnality, you won't accomplish anything of, of worth for the kingdom are you sure you're awake? we got one, alright I'm almost done that's just to make you have some happy thoughts it's not true number five the holy spirit appoints people to ministry it says as they ministered to the lord and fasted the holy spirit said now separate to me barnabas and saul for the work which i have called them how many of you understand that you cannot be a pastor an apostle an evangelist a teacher or a prophet by trade just because you have the training doesn't mean you're called to the office and that works both ways just because you don't like a pastor doesn't mean he's not one Sorry, Tim. It's true. We've, we've made, we've made a, a pastoral office that God ordained a vocation. That's, a, that's insanity to me. Paul, whenever he wrote a letter, this is how he started it. He said, I, Paul, an apostle, not by the will of men, but the will of God. That was basically him saying, if you don't like it, tough. I'm about to say something that's not going to make you real happy. But I'm called to say it. And if you've got an argument against it, take it up with the big man because He put me here in the first place. Now, something equally as important. If you're not aware of the Holy Spirit, you might not be aware of your calling. If God wants you to function in an office or in a position that, that he's, he's set for you in the local body and, and you're not aware. Listen, when I'm, when I'm saying not aware, in Acts chapter 19, He said, are you baptized in the Holy Spirit? They said, we didn't know there was one. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It just means you haven't, you haven't put revelation, faith in the, in, the, in the person of Holy Spirit. Number six, He provides a godlike atmosphere when people when God's presence is manifested. The Bible says clearly that He enthrones upon our praises that where two or more are gathered, there He is in our midst. So, again, we can't throw one out and, and, and keep the other. He is fully with you all the time, no matter what, never leaves you or forsakes you personally. But there is a moment when a corporate anointing comes. And God manifests Himself in a different dimension. When we're worshiping, you feel different than you do when you're driving in your car, don't you? When you're in, a, in prayer with another a believer agreeing with something, you feel a different dimension of presence there to steward than just when you're by yourself. You can't throw one of them out. You can't choose one and say, I like the one that's there during worship, and then neglect the one that's with you all the time. And just because we get so hung up on this new revelation of Him never leaving you or forsaking you doesn't mean, and listen to me well, you'll go to a church conference and people will be going nuts because God's doing something authentic and you'll stay out of it. You won't get to experience it because you're so dead set. on oh, no, He's in me. Am I right? If you've been hurt by the, the, the corporate presence ministry, you'll get so hung up on the private presence ministry that you'll never get to enjoy the corporate presence again. How many of you have been there before i 've been there before i 've gone to, to conferences with with other denominations, and the Lord is moving and i 've been so hurt by moves of the Lord that I just stay away and you know how much i 've missed out on because what you put faith in is what you receive number seven God gives believers assurance. The Bible says his spirit bears witness with our spirit. He will continually be affirming who you are. Number eight is he teaches. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, that the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all the things that I said to you. And number nine, and this is where I'm going to close, is the Holy Spirit is an expert at bringing heavenly power to earthly people. There's a very specific reason why the Gospels accurately record the life of Peter. Peter was one of the most renegade disciples that Jesus had. He was always doing the wrong thing. People came after Jesus and he cut somebody's ear off. He was that guy. Couldn't keep his mouth shut. Couldn't keep his hands to himself. Whatever it was. He was the one that was uh, so emotionally in love with Jesus. But whenever the trial actually came, he couldn't hold his own. Jesus, I'll never forsake you. He forsook him three times in 12 hours. He was that guy he was the guy that that was spunky enough to jump out of the boat and into the water but he wasn't the one that was strong enough to not look at the water and keep his eyes on Jesus he fell that was Peter now there's something in the life of Peter that changed him experientially not just theologically practically not just professionally you hear me in Acts chapter 2, that, that man that we have all of these, this fear, this folly, these failures recorded from, from all throughout the, the context of the Gospels, we have Peter in the upper room waiting on the gift that Jesus promised. He said, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Tarry in Jerusalem, you will be endued with power from on high. When Peter gets there, he's got all of this regret, all this fear, all this failure. Can you imagine being that disciple of Jesus. As a matter of fact, after Jesus died and was resurrected, how would you feel if your teacher, your Rabboni, had just been murdered in cold blood as an innocent man? Peter was so heartbroken, he went fishing. Like, what a dud. And then Jesus <laughs> This is, this is funny. I think that the, the Holy Spirit did this on purpose. After that, he said he gathered the disciples and Peter. How would you feel? It's like, I'm not even numbered among them. But he specifically records those things so that we can see his life in the book of Acts. Because there was a, a page that turned. There was a moment that happened. In the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit descended on them. It says, flames sat atop each one of their heads. They prophesied. They spoke with other tongues. And the moment that happened, there was a group of people around him that said, it's only the middle of the day. These guys must be drunk. And Peter stood up and said, we're not drunk. He finally found the power he was looking for. He preached a message and 3,000 people were added to the kingdom that day. It wasn't John, it wasn't Paul that they were searching for as they were putting their sick people out in the streets. It was the shadow of Peter that they were hoping would fall on them that they might be healed. It wasn't Paul, it wasn't John that they called when when Tabitha was dead and in the house. Peter put all of the people out of the room and he got down with Tabitha and he said, girl, wake up. And she came back to life. Listen, listen, there is a distinguishable difference in the life of a believer when they have an awareness of the one that's living inside of them. Stand with me, church. We can't allow our experiences with people's concepts to cloud our relationship with the person. We can't allow the mishandling of man allow us to take, take us away from the principles of God. I hear believers, I'm just not comfortable with tongues. Like, you better get comfortable. It's Bible. It's canonized. It's the word of the Lord. We can't forsake the truth, the practice, the practicality of who Jesus is because we've been hurt by what man has made him. And I believe that what God wants us to do is He wants us to take that 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 crooked path and make it straight again so that we can be comfortable with the things of God. We can be comfortable with Him as a person. And don't get convoluted and mistake gifts for a giver. What I'm saying is, what is God saying to you right now? What is God asking of you? What is God listen? Every time that Jesus spoke on this topic, listen how beautiful it is. He said, My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Meaning there was a peace that exalted itself above, above circumstance that you were able to receive. How many of you need peace? That only comes from a comforter. It only comes from a comforter. You'll try drugs. You'll try sleeping more. You'll try watching funny movies. You'll try whatever it is to just keep your mind off of crap. But it, listen... Real peace, not as the world gives, only comes from the comforter. It only comes from an awareness of the person that's living in you being more real, more loud, and more available than the circumstance around you. We need less professionals. We need less professors. We need more practitioners. So in love and so desperate for the presence of the Holy Spirit in their own lives that they only speak when He speaks, they only move when He moves, they only do what He does. I'm going to ask you this question and I'm going to ask you to hear it in its context. I don't want you to hear it the way you've heard it before. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? When Jesus taught on the Holy Spirit, He said, if you ask for it, you get it. The teaching that you have to do something or or provide an evidence that it's there is contradictory to Jesus' teaching. He said, if you evil fathers are willing to give your kids bread when they ask for it and not a snake, if if fathers being evil are willing to give your children an egg and not a scorpion, then how would your Father in Heaven ever withhold the Holy Spirit from you when you ask Him? Church, I want to ask you this. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And your answer is going to be yes, or I didn't know I could have one. Not he doesn't like me, or it didn't work, or any of that garbage that the church teaches you. There are a lot of humane organizations out there that do the deeds that the church does, but they're not filled with the person that Jesus is. Listen, as we play this last song, you can do whatever you want, but this is what I want to ask you. The Bible says in Acts chapter 19, they said we didn't even know there was one, it says Paul laid hands on them and they received him. You don't have to shout. You don't have to convulse. You might speak in other tongues. I don't care if you do. It's totally fine. But what you need to come come do is understand that you're receiving something by faith, that you're going to walk in by faith, and you're going to experience the Holy Spirit of God. Amen? Amen.